Hello, everyone, and welcome to the session, Strategic Imperatives in Cyber Defense Operations. My name is Carl Wright. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at Attack IQ. As a Marine, it's my distinct pleasure to introduce the esteemed speaker. They'll be joining us today, Lori Reynolds, who's retired as a Lieutenant General after 35 years in the United States Marine Corps. Her service culminated as the Deputy Commandant for Information, a newly established Deputy Commandant that recognized the growing importance of information, cyberspace and the digital technologies and new warfighting domains of space and cyberspace. During her career, she commanded Marines at every rank, including uh, command of formations in Iraq and Afghanistan. In the last six years in the Marine Corps, she was a member of the Marine Corps Corporate Board responsible for planning $50 billion in annual, annually to support United States Marine Corps missions and capability development globally. Her executive responsibilities include Deputy Department of Navy Chief Information Officer for the Marine Corps, Deputy of Cybersecurity, and Director of Intelligence. Lori earned a BS in Political Science from the United States Naval Academy, an MS from the Navy War College, and an MS uh, from Army War College. She has voluntarily served as the Chairperson of the Board of Sea Service Leadership Association and as a member of the Armed Forces Communication Electronics Association. She was also awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor in 2020 and was the inaugural recipient of the Admiral Grace Hopper Award at the National Defense University College of Information and Cyberspace. Welcome, General, and thank you very much for joining us at the Purple Hats Conference. Thanks, Carl. Uh, really great to, to be with you. I look forward to the conversation today. Well, so do I, and I'm sure so does our audience. So, General, you know, we've seen kind of a significant uptick in activity the frequency and the severity of cyber attacks are increasing exponentially. Corporations and government entities are spending more than we ever have on cybersecurity. And it also seems like the rules of engagement have changed. We have nation states, crime syndicates, uh, with the uh, uh, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now, we're seeing crowdsourced syndicates and hack division, hacktivists like we've never seen before. Um, some may argue that we're actually involved in some sort of uh, low-intensity asymmetric warfare. How would you describe the current state of cyber defensive operations today? Yeah, um, it's getting sporty, right, Carl? I, th I think, um, you know, wh what we really see out there is that we're now in this digital era where every industry um, could be considered a tech, a tech company um, just because of the way that we conduct uh, business right now. So, no matter what sector of uh, business you might find yourself in, you're also a technology company. And um, you have to consider cyber or IT as access to your company, access to what matters to you, access to what matters to um, um, you know, your customers, your shareholders. And so um, no one is um, safe. Uh, you got to defend yourself. You got to think about it very uh, proactively, and uh, bec because, as you mentioned, you got nation states, you got criminals, you got you know uh, curious hackers, um, um, and you know that that really is the game that we're playing right now. So so everybody's part of this. Uh, it's a team sport. Well, and, and you know, from a rules of engagement perspective, I mean, we we obviously used to live in a 
a state where nation states, it was more nation state on nation state. It wasn't nation state on civilian. Is it realistic, I think, for, you know, uh, small SMB businesses or enterprises to defend themselves from nation states? I mean, I mean, we, we seem to have a real challenge here. Yeah. Um, no, it's not realistic. Although, um, you know, again, I, I go back to uh, General Nakasone's um, kind of uh, mantra out there that cybersecurity is a team sport. You don't have to do it by yourself. And there are so many opportunities out there right now where in intelligence is being shared, information is being shared. Uh, you have managed service providers that are willing and capable of defending uh, your company. Um, but but uh, as the owner of that organization, you got to know what questions to ask. You have to be professionally curious. And, and you have to, to stay engaged in this fight. Well, I, you know, I think every sector, whether it's electricity, banking, public transportation, or government services, you know, they have a mission um, to provide those services. And if we just took healthcare as an example, cybersecurity, you know, that's really about patient safety as an example. And if they're spending money on cybersecurity, then they're, all, they're not spending money on, um, you know, maybe new x-ray machines or blood gas analyzers or or things that can save people's lives. And you see the government's role stepping up uh, more uh, lately to kind of help organizations that maybe have a little bit of a different mission uh, from a critical infrastructure perspective? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know what uh, role we expect the government to have necessarily in, in protecting, you know, the healthcare field. I, um, maybe I have that wrong, Carl, but I but I think that um, you know every every business that's out there right now has to decide between functionality and security. Everybody is choosing that balance, and so um, again, um, you know how we choose to defend our cyberspace as a nation. You know, again, we we can't. I don't think uh, expect that the government will protect all that we have. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Carl? Yeah, I, I, you know, that, that's a good question. And that's exactly where I was leading on this. You know, what what responsibility does the government have for national defense? And, you know, the Department of Defense has now created an entire another service that's dedicated to cyber in space um, and, you know, for the national defense of the country. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what the next five years looks like for that um, national defense and industry collaboration uh, to, to, you know, to work closer together and share information. And I think, you know, you, you've seen information sharing be a important component of this, you know, for many, for several decades, probably. Um, but it's, it seems to me it's, it's more important now today than ever. Yeah, I, I think this is a balance we're going to struggle with for a long time, Carl. I think it's a, you know, I, I just, I listened to uh, Jen Easterly the other day talk about, you know, uh, what CISA is doing and, and how they are working so hard to better enable understanding and intelligence and information. And these are the vulnerabilities and, um, you know, and I, and again, you know, so you think about what U.S. Cyber Command is capable of doing in this space it's not nearly large enough to defend the nation in cyberspace. Right. Um, and so managing those expectations in, in this area is, is really important 
particularly from a defensive perspective. I mean, obviously, I think you, we could talk all day long about, you know, what we see happening offensively now and these volunteers in Eastern Europe and, you know, how um, dangerous that might be. But from a defensive perspective, it's not a great analogy, but, but you know, I own a car and at the end of the day, I like my car, you know. I own a house and at the end of the day, I lock my house and I close my windows and I do what I can to defend what I own. Um, um, I, you know, I, I think we're at that point and I, you know, even in my experience in the Marine Corps, it's been a journey to get other folks to understand how important this idea of cybersecurity is. And we could talk all day long about that, you know, the DOD sector, if you will because so much still has to be done to kind of imbue a culture of cyber readiness. Um, um, but, I, but I think this is going to be a public-private partnership, and the more that we can do to bring public and private together to defend what matters to our nation, um, that's the art of the deal. Um, I am encouraged, by the way, some of the things that I see happening, I'm really encouraged by what I see CISA doing. I'm encouraged by what NSA is doing in collaborating more uh, freely and openly with industry and academia, the academic um, uh, relationships that Cyber Command has created. So there's so much good that's going on, but we're all in this together. And, you know, if you're an executive out there and you are in one of the, you know, certainly one of the critical uh, sectors, um, if you're not already curious about cybersecurity of your, you know, uh, industry, then now is a really good time to get started. No, I think I think that's a super important point. And when we think about keeping keeping maturity models of organizations, and you know, we often think about you know what what their mission is and what they're focused on. Um, but it, but there's also something to be said about senior leadership and them understanding the risks of the business, understanding you know the term cyber readiness or or, or, or other terms that could impact their business from a continuity of business operations perspective and, and be able to write the, uh, ask the right questions. Have you seen um, uh, at your level in both the commercial and government organization, uh, senior executives and leaders better understanding the problem space? I, th I think it's a journey and I think we're getting better. You know, I'll, I'll start in my time in defense, but I, th I think you know, several years ago, you know, I, I personally had commanders, commandants who kind of understood that this was important and trusted me to make the right decisions. You know, one of the challenges that we have as people who kind of understand some of the technology is, you know, talking past our executives, you know, and trying to put it into plain speak so that folks really understand the risk. And you said that word risk. It's just all about understanding and managing um, the risk to uh, the mission at the end of the day, whatever the mission is, risk to mission. And so those are the terms that people who in technology have to use with executives because they hear risk to mission and they, you know, ears, ears perk up. I think um, I've seen a couple different things. Um, honestly, uh, Carl, in my time uh, as, you know, now a retired uh, Marine, as I talk more and more to industry and um, the financial sectors and others. In some places, we have um, the IT specialists buried, you know, three, four echelons deep. In other places, I've seen it where they have direct access to perhaps the treasury officer or the CEO. I, 
I personally think that um, um, one of the first questions that you have to ask yourself, and we even had to do this in the Marine Corps, is in this era that we find ourselves in, where you know the, the environment is what we already said it was, where you have so many people coming after you, um, are you organized properly to defend what matters to you? You know, um, so so we should not take this for granted. Sometimes you find that you're not organized. We found in the Marine Corps, we weren't organized to properly defend the network. We we weren't we did not have a culture of war fighting on the network. And and that's you know obviously that's a military term, but again going back to risk to mission. If you if you're a CEO, if you're exec in some industry out there, if you don't think that your ability to communicate or that, that cyber terrain is not essential to, you have to adopt a method, a mindset of war fighting that says, I am going to defend vigorously this space. And, and if that's not your culture, if then, then be careful, right? Because that, that mindset as an executive trickles down to how you fund it, you know, uh, the decisions and how they're made, um, and so you know, uh, uh, you know, when when disaster happens, are you organized to kind of respond uh, to that? And so it feeds everything. It feeds all your response uh, actions. It, it so you know, I, I would start with culture, and I would say it's kind of uneven in in what I've seen. I I agree completely. Look, I I've been saying for five years now that you know, corporations are at war, they just don't know it and they don't talk like it and they don't fund it. And you know, they, they have an obligation, both fiduciary as well as other, you know, to uh, provide business continuity of operations. And, and I think we're getting better. I think that um, senior executives are understanding more the threat and the risks of the business. They, they, they need to do more, they need to learn more. But I also think that, um, uh, you know, cybersecurity operators have not done a good job of communicating effectively to the board or to senior leadership, not speaking the same language that they do. We tend to be too technical um, and not um, kind of translating, um, you know, what the business outcomes could be if we do something or we don't do something. So it, it seems like um, we have a lot of learning to continue to do. Life is probably going to always be an evolution of continued learning if we do it right. But it, it seems like this is a, a, a two-way road uh, that we need to do better on. I, I, t I totally agree with you. And I, um, you know, if you're the person who is speaking to the exec, to the C-suite, you got to find a way to, to put this into the language that the executive understands. And again, that's that's why I use, I use language like risk risks to mission. So these are the things that, you know, um, I mean, any, any leader would understand, okay, my mission is at risk if I don't do these things. And then there's, you know, um, Carl, you know, there's, there's always that thing of never overselling the risk, you know, um, the risk is what it is. Uh, how do you best uh, lay that down to a boss in a way that's consistent? Um, you know, that, um, um, it's understandable, and then if you have to go deeper about how how do you make, how is that a red risk and not a yellow risk or a green risk or whatever whatever uh, 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 way you decide to do that, um, 
but executives only have so much time. And so how do you how do you put that together in a measurable way that somebody immediately understands, okay, this person needs my attention and and now I gotta I gotta go down there and make sure that my IT guys or my cyber guys are um, have everything that they need. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's jump into operations. And so, do you see in cyber defensive operations are they are we manifesting fast enough uh, the you know the changes that we need, or do you feel like cyber adversaries are are setting the current tempo? I mean, are we too reactive still, or, or how do you how do you see that changing? I don't. You know, I think the advantage is always to the attacker, right? And, and so I think that the art of the deal here is, you know, building, if you can, um, building with cybersecurity in mind or building with cyber defense in mind so that, you know, we're not constantly chasing the next best tool. Um, um, I, th I think, by the way, that's where we found ourselves in the DOD is, is we, we chase tools a little bit because we did not build for defense. Um, I think... Um, um, uh, you know, I, 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 you, know, we, you and I, Carl, we grew up with, you know, defense in depth kind of technologies. And now we're talking about zero trust and I, and I want both of them, right? I, I want, I want data layer security, but I also want an ability to kind of keep the, the adversary at bay on, you know, some of my operational technology networks and some of those other things. So I think, you know, as you really think about an opportunity to kind of design with defense in mind, uh, that also gives you the opportunity to insert functionality uh, along the way. Um, you know, that it, I think it's, Carl, it's always gonna be a sparring match, you know, but, but I think what we, what we still see out there, by the way, are you know, some of the basics still not being done, multi-factor authentication, you know, um, basics like these things that, um, you know, we, we're still catching up. Well, you know, you know, on that note, you know, we spend a lot of money on capability um, and then we deploy it and then we, and then we just move on to the next thing. And, you know, cyber hygiene you know, just seems to be our, our, our biggest threat isn't the adversary, it's ourself. I mean, it's just, you know, owning and operating effectively and optimizing what we have and making sure people are, you know, understand how to use it. It, it, it seems we could do a lot better as a, both a nation and as individual uh, companies if we focus a little bit more on just owning and operating in cyber hygiene. I, um, we could go on and on about this and I'm happy to do that. I mean, I look now, now you're getting into um, people and how we train them, right? Do, do we invest in really deep learning for the folks who are going to employ these tools, whatever they are. Right. And so to your point, you know, um, these new ways of thinking about red teams or purple teams. And, you know, um, it, that goes, right, Carl, that goes to this culture of cyber readiness. You know, um, we got to give up things that give us an illusion of security, right? And we spike the ball on the five-yard line and, and you know, and then we go home and the adversary gets in the next day. So, um yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with you. Um, we we got to invest in the people who can best understand, you know, how these tools are used and then be ninjas with them. Well, we're, we're definitely, I think we'll spend a little more time talking about that in a second. But, you know, 
Uh, one of the things I've been saying for a while, I mean, I think I started 20 years ago when, when we first built the Marine Corps Enterprise Network, um, is, you know, cybersecurity doesn't use the word transformation very much. Um, we also don't use words like fluid or elastic and, you know, really referring to major architectural shifts in IT operations, such as cloud and virtualization. I mean, I've never heard a security person in my life use the word fluid or elastic, yet those are the terrains that we have to defend against because often a cloud-first strategy, whether it's DoD or commercial world, you're seeing it. And so, um, you know, I'm wondering, you know, what, how should senior leaders, particularly in cyber, be thinking about transformation? Uh, or are they thinking about it? And I, I just haven't had the luxury of talking to those folks yet. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I think they are thinking about transformation. I, you know, uh, my last year, you know, in DOD, we were making the move to, you know, cloud-based IT uh, with a major vendor, you know. Um, so all of us, all of the services at the same time, we're trying to figure out, you know, so keep in mind, this was COVID. We were coming out of this kind of temporary commercial virtual remote capability that Microsoft had given us. It, it's basically 365 Think Teams. And um, so Think Teams, that, that they gave us teams um, in, a, in a, uh, uh, kind of a temporary kind of cloud capability. And then it, that gave us breathing room, right, Call for all of us to think about how do we accelerate our move to, uh, in this case, Office uh, 365 or Microsoft 365. And so we work together under, um, you know, the DOD CIO uh, trying to think through, you know, from a security model first, thinking most securely about cloud and how many tenants and how do the tenants work together and so forth. That is probably in my, at least in my lifetime, the first time that I think all of the services work together to transform how we provided capabilities globally uh, and you know, with the you know, cyber command was involved in it. You know, we red teamed, we purple teamed, we did all the teams, and uh, as as we thought together about how to, um, it was it was transformative, if you will. Um, I I don't know that we again going back to the people part of that that we that we really thought through um, the the people side of this and how to keep our folks trained and what it meant to be defending in the cloud and so forth. So keep in mind, you know, keep in mind, Carl, that, you know, um, for, you know, th those of you who don't have a defense background, I mean, you only really get one shot at this, you know, major changes like this in the DOD because of the, the immense cost as you're competing with so many other um, requirements of the of the department. So I, I don't think that's unlike other industries who are making, you know, these strategic decisions. Um, but. I would I would say that that is the first time that I really participated in something that was transformative, um, and, and hopefully that enables us to get to you know more quickly to this zero trust capability that we're all talking about. But it's a little bit, um, you know, you gotta you gotta measure three times before you cut, you know, in that kind of environment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the coordination is got to be pretty significant. You know, one of, one of my questions for you is, is you know, with your experience, um, you know, how to better design to be effective for tomorrow instead of always being reactive to 
yesterday's today's threat? And it's obviously a loaded question, but is there is there a way you think about this problem space um, when it comes to uh, future proofing or investments that you're making, you know, that are going to pay off in the next two to three years? Yeah. Well, you know, I cer certainly think that, you know, things like zero trust keep, you know, that, that gives you a better opportunity to kind of um, uh, build in a more resilient uh, kind of way as you're securing at the data layer. Um, um, you know, I, I just, I, I guess I would offer to you this, Carl, not necessarily the technology, but there's so many things around the technology that, that we have not certainly in the department gotten right in the past. For example, you know, more and more of our uh, critical capabilities have IT embedded in them, and and there's this idea that you know, um, as you think about sustaining those capabilities longer term, do you are you, are you organized properly? Are you funded properly to sustain those capabilities over the life of that uh, piece of equipment? I would say that this is a work in progress. If I'm if I'm being as optimistic as I can be about this, that is a work in progress, because it's not just about your administrative network. You know, it's about your operational technology, whether it's a truck, or an HVAC system, or something else. Are you building it to be properly sustained over the life cycle of that capability? And and I you know from a cyber perspective, we have a lot of work to do in that area. Um, um, so again, it goes back to organization. It goes back to funding models. It goes back to you know how you measure the total cyber readiness of whatever that technology might be. Um, and to your and to your earlier point, thinking about that before you even you know lay in that first contract uh, would be would be a really phenomenal exercise for for folks. Because after the fact, it gets really hard. It gets really expensive. Right. I mean, we had the bill, you know, you and I caught up a little bit before the session and, um, uh, you know, around top strategic imperatives. And I, th I think we we keep coming back to people as one of the, the top strategic imperatives are, are people. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about was the impact of sustained operations. And I think, you know, we we're talking a little bit about Log4j. Um, can you, in your words, can you uh, tell the audience a little bit? How you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I was talking to a, a few different um, folks in industry. This was in the financial area around Christmas time when Log4j was happening, and the thing that was just on my mind was here it was Christmas time. Um, you know, all people really want to do is you know be able, be able to go home, and you know, and and yet we have this Log4j vulnerability, which you know, as as you think about it so difficult to, to kind of um, uh, mitigate those kinds of vulnerabilities to, to really have an understanding um, of where it is, are they already in, you know, are they somewhere in my network and, and you know, first finding the vulnerability, then mitigating it, and then having some understanding that, that you've done the job. And it just, it, it struck me, Carl, that, um, you know, across, um, Across, you know, the the IT space, there were just scores of people who were just laboring uh, with this burden. Um, uh, and because from my perspective, my understanding, that was a rather significant vulnerability. 
And I just wondered how many of those folks were being properly supported by executives who truly understood the burden that they were under. You know, and don't want to oversell it, but over and over again, you know, you think about kind of the the unending um, task of our IT providers. And and I, you know, just in my own experience, and now we're talking leadership and not cyber, but you know, um, just understanding the work that your teams are doing, the burden that they carry in defending what is essential uh, to the mission. Um, and people who you know, don't really understand what it is that they do, they just know that they're happy to have them do it and, 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 not, and not perhaps someone else. But I think, look, I would just say uh, from a leadership perspective, this is, this, is a, uh, this is a place where just leaders just asking the right questions, giving access, access to those people who are down there, you know, fighting that fight, making those risk decisions for a company. Sometimes just being there as a leader and saying, do you have everything you need? You know, what do I need to understand about what this is that you're fighting right now and how can I help you? Just something that simple um, uh, really matters. I mean, I I just think it really matters. I I know that because when the commandant asked me, Lord, do you have everything you need? Um, Then I know he's at least thinking somebody is carrying a burden that he's, you know, he's trusting in. So, I don't know, Carl. I don't know if that's where you were taking me, but that's where I was going at Christmas time with Logboard Day. Like, ah, you know, these poor people. No, I think that's perfect. We're going to talk about retention later, but I got to imagine that, you know, that that can help this retention issue a lot of organizations are having. (laughs) You know, um, I I, I learned it over and over again. Sometimes just asking people to stay on the team is all it takes. We really need you on the team. Will you please stay with us? Um, sometimes that's all it takes. Um, so anyway. Um, well, we, we opened the session, you know, talking about um, kind of the, the exponential increase in the number of attacks that uh, folks are dealing with. So um, this impacts Operational Temple. Obviously, we just talked about the impacts of Log4j and you know, waiting for the next one to happen. So op-tempo is a thing, but we also know we need to spend time on our people from a training perspective. And, and you know, A, do you think the training that we're providing our people today is effective? And then, you know, do you think we're actually, are we doing as much training as we should be doing? Yeah, you know, I, I can only answer this one, um, Carl, from my own experience. I, I, I would encourage, you know, executives and leaders out there to ask these questions inside their own organizations. My my experience inside the Marine Corps was that we weren't. Um, uh, we did not properly fund for training for all of our folks. We we did, you know, in my last year or two, um, we we made training a lot more available um, uh, via virtual means. Um, you know, DOD, by the way, 8140, kind of there, it requires certain training. Um, it's a nonstop. Again, you have to have a culture of training in your organization um, to keep up and and to um, better enable folks to kind of take the time that they need to, to train. Um, it's a cultural thing. Um, I, would, I would offer to you, though, that in my experience that... Um, 
it's not that people don't want to train and my, my experience is it's it's making the training available to them you know um so that they don't have to pay out a hide um to be proficient in the things that you need them to do and so you know setting your training budget giving them the time to go do it um and then rewarding them when the training is done i mean it, again this is a cultural thing of you know if you really care about what's happening then you invest in the people that are doing it. Uh, makes total sense. You know, in the Marine Corps, Marine is a rifleman. And so regardless of what we do, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, we understand our, our, you know, and can break down our primary weapon. The reason I bring this up um, is that, you know, when we look at the tooling and the tools and capabilities that cyber defenders are responsible for, um, I get the feeling lately that they don't really understand their weapon, that they don't really understand the capabilities of how that piece of gear detects or blocks or whatever it might be, and they heavily rely on the vendor. Um, I think, you know, for me, it feels like it's a training issue, but it also feels like, um, you know, operators aren't really breaking down you know, that super important tool that could uh, one day, you know, help help the organization um, def- defeat an adversary that's coming after them. I was, and I'm wondering your perspective on, on in the reference of training on that statement. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really great point. And again, I'll just, you know, g- going from experience here, uh, one of the most frustrating things um, I think that I saw as, you know, at the Marine Corps level was, just what you say, right, Carl? We would we would buy some new tool, and then you know what we and it look again. This goes back to organization. I I think um, the more tools you buy, the more training you need, um, or the more um, tech reps that you need to run those tools for you. And then you know um, if you're not careful, you walk into your, you know, your uh, IT center, your, in, in our case, it was the cyber operations group down there in Quantico. You go in and you see all of these tech reps representing their tools and I can't go to war with them, right? I, I can't, right? So to your point, right, Carl, from a Marine Corps perspective, you know, it sometimes it goes down to, you know, what is your theory of defense? And then how do you, the tools help you with that? You have to build a theory of defense, if you will, that you can actually do it with the, the manpower in the organization that you have, or you have to adjust your manpower and your organization, right? But too often we find that we just throw new tools at the problem without thinking about the organization. And, th- and now you have bought a tool that requires a tech rep to, to in, in, you know, in every you know, network operations center that you have. So again, that, that all of that has to be considered as you think about the life cycle of what it is that you're buying and and um, um, uh, you know and and how you intend to employ that. One of my concerns, Carl, by the way, was you know what when we have these these represent, representatives of the organization you know that sold us this tool, who's supervising that person? Who knows enough to know that you know what that person is doing is uh, what we we need him to do? And so, from a management perspective, there's an issue there as well. And so, um, but but it, but it also you know how do you? We also didn't experience you know we didn't have an opportunity where we could 
take the tool off of the network and really spar with it, if you will. You know, which is which is also a challenge. Like, how do you really make sure that your IT folks are really proficient with the capability before you know it's part of your operational technology? Um, and and so um, you know, it's, it's the sport that we're playing. Um, but but it, uh... well, that that really that really leads into the process. And you know, we we talked about transformative things that are happening, and certainly. The cloud first strategy is a good example of that. And, you know, so now we have organizations that are, uh, you know, transforming and moving, you know, to this new terrain uh, that they that they uh, we know they don't understand very well. Otherwise, we wouldn't see so many S3 buckets left open and you know, massive amounts of data being taken because somebody didn't uh, configure an S3 bucket correctly in AWS. Right. So so I think, you know, our adversaries know that anytime we do anything transformative, that means we're gonna have uh, people that are not very well trained, and this is probably an area that they focus. Is that your your experience tell you that as well? I, you know, I, th I think, uh, Carl, again, it, go it, goes, it goes back to as you are making these, you know, steps into these transformative kind of new cap capabilities, you really have to think it all the way through, right? H how am I gonna operate in this, you know, new environment you know, is the training right? Is the organization still right? And I, and I keep going back to organization, Carl, because I, again, I recognized in the Marine Corps that we were not properly organized to fight the network, right? We had to change that. We, we had regions of our network that didn't report to a single person who could understand the entire, you know, environment. So we had to change that. Very emotional, very hard, um, but it had to be done. Um, so, is your organization right? You know, as you're thinking about this transformative technology, do you have the proper training um, for that? Um, is decision making who can make decisions and at what level in that environment in this new technology? Um, and then, do you have the right partners, right, Carl? I mean, you know, look, you know, we see DoD going to cloud. Get it? We have to go to cloud. We have to have high velocity compute so that we can better enable these greater technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning and so forth, so that we can let machines do what machines do and let people do what people can do best. But that requires that we have new partners in this space. And so as you have new partners, how do you engage with them? What are they gonna do? What's my responsibility? How do we work together? How do we share information? All these things are, are things that um, um, you gotta think it all the way through. Um, um, and that, number one, allows you to choose the right partner, um, but also I think it, you know, you have to test it in what is going to be its most, um, uh, you know, just, you know, the, the most difficult environment that you think you're going to have to, you know, employ it in. So it, it's, a, it's a heavy lift, if you will, you know, to go into these new transformative uh, capabilities, but um, so, so you can't leave it just to your IT professionals, right? This is a partnership with the folks who have to really understand these decisions that are being made. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, understanding, you know, just what questions to ask at the right time is, is kind of, there's an art to that. Um, um, so, okay. When we, you know, when we think about process, I mean, that's a big word. There's a lot of things that get wrapped up into, you know, uh, you know, focusing on processes and organization so you can bring rigor 
to various aspects of, 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 of supporting the mission. And, you know, you and I, in the past, we've talked a lot about uh, acquisition and, and life cycle management and, and how that, you know, that's such, you know, that's the beginning of the journey of the capability, right? But it's just the beginning. Um, and it, it seems to be, you know, when we look at the commercial world, and I don't know what the, the, the statistic is now, but at one point I'd read that over 60% of, of IT uh, deployments fail. And it's usually because of uh, product management and, and program management and things like that. Um, but, you know, can you talk a little bit about from a cyber centric perspective, you know, acquisition, lifecycle management? We've talked obviously about training and the importance of training and, and ensuring that people can operate it. But is there any recommendations that you, know, you make to uh, senior leaders um, on, on how to think about this and how to do it better? Yeah. Um, I, again, I would just say you have to think it all the way through. So it's, it's um, look, the, the more technology is available to companies, the more technology that is available to DOD, the more that we find that, you know, you know, IT is embedded into things that you might not expect to see IT embedded in, um, but it is. And so it, it goes back to something that, that I mentioned a little bit earlier, which is, okay, if, if I'm going to now, you know, the, the network itself is easy enough to understand and how you get organized for that. But when you think about operational technology or, you know, um, vehicles in the DOD that now have IT embedded in them, let me think that all the way through, okay, who is accountable? Once, once, that, once that vehicle, you know, rolls off the deck of, you know, the, the truck that delivered it, now who is accountable for the IT security of that, of that truck. You know, we, we have not, um, I, I think this is a work in progress, right? So, so who's accountable for the life cycle cyber readiness of that vehicle? Uh, is it the maintenance guys? Is it the, the folks that, you know, do the administrative network? It, it, you know, so do you put the cybersecurity, you know, understanding in, you know, down in the maintenance guys? I, I personally think that, um, uh, we will never, probably never have enough IT specialists to really be able to hit every sector. But so there's kind of a general understanding that needs to happen across all of these sectors to understand that cyber, again, it goes to this you know, readiness, this resilience. Um, uh, we we got to be thinking about how do you, um, you know, uh, better share the understanding and the education into all these different sectors. Um, it's a big challenge, you know? Well, that really starts talking about massive explosion of OT, IOT, right? And, you know, more and more, I, I think, um, we're more interested in, in measuring, uh, measuring the effectiveness of our security programs or our cyber defensive operations, right? And we can't manage what we can't measure and so how do you think about that as a senior executive, senior leader, uh, about measuring the effectiveness of, of the cybersecurity spend, the people, the processes, things like that? Yeah. So one of the things that I, that I learned, you know, as a senior leader in the Marine Corps is that um, I needed to better understand risk. Sometimes it wasn't risk associated with uh, 
what we were spending money on. It was what we weren't spending money on. And so how do you expose the risk in your organization so that, Carl, so that you can measure it? And and some risk you can't mitigate. You just got to live with, by the way. You know, so it's so it, you go back to this whole idea of what is the terrain that must be defended at all costs for the mission. Um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the things that you hear, uh, at least inside the Don, you know, the CIO there, Mr. Weiss, Aaron Weiss, talking a lot uh, less about, um, you know, the way that we used to measure in the past was, you know, does this piece of gear, does this software have a, an ATO? That, that is, I get, go, that is an illusion of of security. Um, that does not give you a cyber secure capability. And so, how do you build this this culture of cyber resilience in an organization across not just your IT but your OT as well? Very difficult, right? And so, inside of each commanders. Commanders uh, who have operational technology have to start to understand where is that and how do I better understand where I am? You know, so to me, Carl, this is an at echelon kind of, you know, if the guys at the top are talking about cyber resiliency and understanding where is my risk buried and then, then at echelon folks are beginning to be more professionally curious about where that risk is, then we can protect you know, perhaps uh, get after it. This is this is very difficult. We have a lot of legacy capability out there, um, and it's gonna. This is this is like everybody rowing together trying to understand how do I defend at where I defend where you are, um, because you know you, you can't rely. I don't think that you can rely on the small number of people who are you know IT trained and call themselves an IT or cyber professional because this is this is an everybody fight. Yeah. No. I. I... You just uh, said something I want to double click on. It's my recent favorite subject. So, so use the word ATO, authority to operate, which is part of a certification accreditation process. We we think of it on the commercial side as kind of compliance uh, is a way to do it. It's, you know, there's a lot of facets to it, but we spend a lot of money on this. We spend a tremendous amount of our treasure uh, uh, on this compliance or on this on the certification accreditation process. And then we have the other side of the house, which which focuses on risk and risk mitigation, risk management. And then we have the other side of the house, which is, you know, cyber defensive operations where, you know, kind of, you know, from the bit, the bite up uh, versus kind of the framework down, right? Of whatever certification accreditation, you know, NIST 853 or SIS or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, it's interesting that compliance doesn't equal secure and secure doesn't equal compliance. It seems like that should be an equation that balances somehow, given how much money we're spending on both sides of the house. What's your perspective on that? And are we are we just doing what we're told or should we be thinking out of the box to reimagine what this should look like? Yeah, no, I, th I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody disagrees with that, Carl. I, I, I think, um, look, you know, times have changed. You know, it used to be, you know, we didn't have, you know, to your point 45 minutes ago, you know, nation states, criminals and others coming after us like they are now. Um, and, you know, an ATO gave us, it was a snapshot in time. Is this, is this a secure capability? Yep. It doesn't, you know, a day later, it might not be secure. And so I, I don't, um, I think a different model is required. You know, um, 
and I th and I think that the DoD knows that and are and are looking at that. You know, it's very difficult for uh, small and medium businesses to be able to compete. You know, in an environment where that ATO is required. And so, what is the responsibility of you know you know kind of a a major vendor with these subs to kind of help with some of these capabilities? But qu quite honestly, Carl, I mean, I th I think there are some you know significant you know some of the big guys in 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 the DoD vendor world. Um, um, you know, somebody needs to ask the right questions of, of the technology that they're providing. And so, again, it goes back to, I, I would like to get, see us get back to, you know, this idea of, you know, really understanding as you're purchasing a piece of kit or a new software, what's the theory of defense of this? Over the life cycle for this, whatever it is, Mr. Vendor, what is your theory of defense? How are you going to provide a cyber resilient capability? Um, and then how do we sustain that over the life cycle? Um, so um, I think I think a different model is needed. Um, well, we, we've been using the um, word resilience quite a bit. Uh, um, you know, I, I, it, come, I, it comes naturally to me. I, I like that idea. Um, we're seeing it more in the commercial world. I mean, that, that word's been around a while, I think, in the Department of Defense, readiness and resilience. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the way I've seen that word used in the financial sector, you know, is when a regulator comes in and asks the bank, you know, what is their resilience uh, to a ransomware attack? And, and they're not talking about the bank's ability to defend itself or to recover from that necessarily. What they're talking about is what is the bank's ability to continue to provide a service to its customers uh, giving a, a, an attack? But the requirement of the bank is to provide the service uh, to the customers. And so are they resilient enough to continue to provide the service? Um, what do you think of that definition? And, and how, do, how do you think organization, even the bank wasn't ready for that? That wasn't something they'd ever heard from a regulator. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think um, cer certainly from the line of work that I grew up in the in the defense world, you have to be able to fight hurt, right? And so, you know, understanding, if you will, uh, I mean, ransomware is 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 one thing. I mean, it completely debilitates your ability to um, um, to operate. Then you probably need to rethink your readiness um, um, but but I you know certainly from a DoD perspective you know we think about things like pace plans you know your primary your alternate you know what's your alternate ability to get through you know um, your contingent you know so so drilling those things and um, you know turning off that you know uh, major bandwidth capability that you have perhaps and just thinking through that uh, we train for that um, we we try to fight hurt uh, in our um, you know exercises and so forth and by the way I think we're getting better at not at really exercising that way but I don't know how industry does that Carl I got I gotta tell you I think um, I think that this is one of those things though where if you're an executive, and you imagine that day when you know all of your data has been you know owned by some hacker, and you have this ransom you know 
where are you? What are you doing? What are the questions that you're asking? What are your options? Have you have you thought through what those options are? Um, you know, um, we we see what's happening. I think in Eastern Europe right now, and I, and I would say to everybody who owns a network out there, or you know, don't let this crisis go to waste. Um, you know, plan through you know what the worst that could happen, and so that you're that you're more prepared for. You never be ready for it. You can be more prepared, though. No, absolutely. The um, you know, train like you fight, right, is a, a word, word that we use, obviously, often. General um, organizations are spending more on on testing, red teaming, whatever color team you want to call it, um, but it, it involves a, a lot of very expensive people. Um, you know, is it does is DoD found that red teaming and the different types of that teaming is either a is that scalable, affordable, and is it giving the coverage models that make, make you as a senior leader feel good about um, the data that you're getting as a representative sample of the enterprise? No, it's no, you're right. I mean, it's really expensive, Carl. And, and by, by the way, I mean, um, you know, um, you, you would want red teams that really understood, you know, you have to intelligence-informed red teaming, um, how how will the adversary fight, you know, what are the TTPs, what are the tactics, techniques, and procedures of, you know, a Russian state actor as opposed to a Chinese state actor, as opposed to a criminal group, as opposed to, right, so there's, there is so much to make a really good red team a really good red team, and um, so, um, you know, we, we continue to kind of add to our um, uh, ability to do this, but um, I'm, I'm not super comfortable with representative samples, you know, yeah. uh, I'm just not, I'm just not comfortable there. Um, so, um, I, I think, you know, red teaming kind of lets you understand going back to, you know, what we talked about with thinking about acquisition and life cycle and might give you an idea for, okay, well, well we built these, you know, this piece of kit and there's a significant vulnerability that we need to now go fit. And, but, I just I just think each situation is different, and you know, what you really need on your OT or your IT is this constant red teaming, whatever you know, things that can really understand in real time what am I looking at on this technology so that I can properly defend it. That's yeah, that seems like an area right for transformation and automation and things like that. Um, switching up real quick, and you know, just in the interest of time. You told you uh, were telling me a story about a, a conversation that you had one time recently with a senior executive uh, in DoD about knowing the adversaries of my network and not being able to prove it. Can can we just talk a few minutes about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, you know, I, again, I was I was I was talking to somebody very, very senior, and um, um, uh, and I said, what what you know, what keeps you up at night? And he said, you know. Just, just what Carl just said is, you know, I know they're in there and I just can't find them. Um, I was actually encouraged by that, and here's what here's what I mean. I I think that if all of us as executives went to bed believing the adversary is in my network and I just can't find them, I actually think that's the culture that we're looking for. And I'm not not suggesting that I want a bunch of people that can't sleep at night. I am suggesting that if you want, if you assumed that number one, that people are trying to get get into your network. Number two, that they have the means to do so, and um, and 
and uh, and I think you know finally that they they wish to do you harm, not to make people paranoid, but to understand that is the environment that we're in right now. And if you don't have a culture in your organization where you you know believe that you're vulnerable, I think you know we've talked. Uh, Carl, about training for our IT professionals, but it's not just IT professionals. It's everybody who uses this technology. You know, again, you know, the, the number one, you know, way into a network is, is through, you know, stupid people tricks. And so if we don't, you know, continue to imbue this sense of, you know, protect this terrain um, at the executive level, then, you know, to the earlier discussion that we had, then at Echelon, people won't have that professional curiosity to be able to balance security and functionality to provide the best capability for shareholders and, and folks. And so it's a cultural thing. Um, I was actually more encouraged by that than I was dismayed um, because, I th because I think that's the culture that we need today. Yeah, it, it definitely promotes uh, awareness. And I think, you know, we can start with awareness and build from there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, last question for today, General, what guidance would you give uh, or leave with any senior leaders uh, from the session today? Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is, this is easy, basic stuff. You know, go visit your IT teams, um, ask them what they're working on, ask them what keeps them awake at night, ask them if they have everything that they need, you know, have a relationship with those folks because they, they are defending your terrain every day. And um, if, if you, um, uh, if, if you, if they don't think that you care, um, and I, I, if you're, you know, certainly on this thing that then you, then you care, but sometimes it's just the easiest things, Carl, it's just the easiest things that will really make a difference in the culture of an organization. Um, so ask the next question and the next one after that, sit down next to them and say, show me what you're doing. Uh, teach me uh, why this matters to me. And, um, it will it will speak volumes to them. Well, Gerald, I just uh, want to say thank you so much uh, for your time today, as always, and I really appreciate you taking the time out and, and being with us today. It was fun, Carl. Good talking to you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you.